Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 335 of the podcast. Unless you're joining me live on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. If you want to catch a show live, make sure to subscribe on one or all of those platforms and turn on your notifications so you know when the show is live, like right now. Today is Tuesday, October the 24th. So normally I would record on Sunday, especially on a weekend like this when the fight card was a hunt early in the day. But uh, I can explain. My family was in town. My mom and dad came to visit. And uh, we were doing some stuff with them. I was actually I was picking them up at the airport when the fight card started. So I was sitting in the airport cell phone lot uh, in Tampa. And I was watching the fights on my phone as I was waiting to pick them up. So I saw like most of the prelims. I missed a lot of them beginning of the main card. And then I got back home in time for the Usman Chamaya fight. I actually started watching it from the third round though. So I may have a different perspective than some people on that. Then on Sunday, to celebrate my wife's birthday, my mom and dad took our daughter for the day. They took her to the aquarium and stuff like that. And the wife and I decided to have a grown-up day. And we took our bikes to a bike trail here in Pinellas County, Florida, called the Pinellas Trail, which runs, I don't know how many miles that thing is, 37 miles or something. We started somewhere in the middle of it, and there's a bunch of breweries along the bike trail. So <clears throat> the idea was drink a beer, burn a beer. So we started in Dunedin, Florida at one of our favorite breweries, Seventh Sun. Uh, they make some really fantastic beer. For those of you who don't know, the Tampa Bay area is like a hotbed for craft beer for whatever reason. I don't know why there are so many great breweries here. Um but it's definitely it's definitely a weakness for me um, <laughs> because I try to avoid beer because it's not great for the waistline, you know. And I don't want to buy bigger pants, so I don't drink as much beer. Uh, I try to stick to straight liquor. But we did the brewery tour, so we started at Seven Sun, and then we rode north to a brewery called Debine. And then continued on to Tarpon Springs, Florida. It was about 11 miles, so 22 miles round trip. And we hit two breweries in Tarpon Springs as well. Probably pedaled back a little bit slower <laughs> on the way home. But we made it, and it took us about, I guess, about five hours. Nice leisurely bike ride um, and stopping for some beers along the way and some food. And it was a really nice day. And then last night was my wife's actual birthday. So a very happy birthday to her once again. So we went out to dinner with her parents in Tampa. And we went to a Brazilian steakhouse. For those of you who aren't familiar with this type of establishment, what they do is they give you a coin on your table and you can flip it to red or green and if it's on green they will continue to come out 
with a parade of grilled meats. So steaks, lamb, sausage, chicken, fish. And as long as your coin is on green, they will continue to pile food in front of you. Um, so, you know, we indulged a little bit for the wife's birthday. And by the time I got home, I was in no condition to be doing a podcast or talking. <laughs> I just wanted to get in some sweatpants and, and relax with the family. So that's what we did. So here we are on Tuesday to talk about UFC 294. What an exciting card. And right off the bat, Mark, Sello, Mark Fellows says, Hi, Matt Temple. On behalf of Australia, please don't tip our fighters again. Thanks. I believe you meant please don't pick our fighters again. So for those of you who have been tuning into the weekly segment on Thursdays, which is only available on YouTube once again. So if you want to catch the Fight Picks episodes, make sure you subscribe on YouTube and turn on your notifications. Uh, those shows have not been live yet, but they will be soon. So I bring my buddy Matt Temple on the show, and he makes Fight Picks. He usually gives a parlay every week, and he is currently 0 for 3. <laughs> so, you know, he's starting to develop a bit of like the Chael Sonnen curse where whoever he picks, you know, if that's your favorite fighter, you should be concerned. So that's what Mark is talking about here. Because Matt did pick Volkanovsky as part of his parlay. And uh, obviously that did not work out. So every Thursday I have Matt on the show. He gives me some fight picks and I critique him. This week, this past week, we actually made a bet which I'm not going to be able to honor this week because there's not going to be a picks episode this Thursday since there's no UFC fights this weekend. So it's going to have to wait till next week. But I told him that I thought Kamaru Usman was going to pull off the upset against Kamzat Shimaev on short notice. And Matt picked Kamzat. So actually he did get one fighter right in his parlay. So now I have to do a shot of poblano liqueur so i guess it, it's like a spicy pepper liqueur which is probably meant to be mixed into a margarita or something like that but i'm gonna have to drink it straight because uh, i bet on kamara usman and given the performance i don't think i was far off you know i think a lot of people thought he was gonna get blown out of the water and it was a very competitive fight before we get to that Let's talk about the main event. So Islam Mahachev defends his lightweight championship against Alexander Volkanovsky. Now, obviously we know that Volkanovsky took this fight on 10, 11 days notice, whatever it was. Uh, he was coming off of a hand surgery, just had a baby, all these things. Wasn't ready for a title fight, but said yes anyway. Uh, when the UFC called... He responded and said yes. It didn't seem like there was even much negotiation. This is the fight that he wanted. This is the fight he's been asking for. Now, going into this, a lot of people were saying things like Volkanovski had nothing to lose, which I think is unfair because now that we've seen the result, 
So he got head kicked in the first round, got knocked out by Mahashev. Now he's lost the opportunity to get this fight back is what he's lost. You know, as long as Mahashev is the champion at 155 pounds, the UFC is not going to want to see Volkanovsky move up and fight him for a third time, at least not anytime soon. And now he's got to go back to 145 pounds, a division that he's essentially cleaned out, right? I mean, I can pull up the rankings, but, I mean, he's beaten a fair amount of these contenders. So obviously, Ilya Teporia is next in line. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate for Volkanovsky. All right, so... The, the top of the division here, Max Holloway, number one, obviously he's beaten him three times. Yair Rodriguez beat him. Brian Ortega beat him. Arnold Allen didn't fight him yet, but, you know, he's not in the conversation just yet. Ilya Taporia beat him. You know, so he's beaten everybody in the top five. So it's like, how far are we going to go down giving guys title shots? Um. And you, you have to wonder if it's going to affect his mindset. Uh, let's see. Mark says, should Volk versus Taporia go ahead in January or should Holloway step in for an interim title? If I were someone in Volkanovsky's camp, if I were his coach, someone close to him, I would not let him fight Ilya Teporia in January. I know right after the fight, he said he was fine, but that's easy to say. You know, every one of us that's ever done hard sparring or fought before, you know, we've gotten our bell rung and, and said we've been fine uh, when that's not the case. And, you know, sometimes you do feel fine immediately after. And then sometimes a few hours later, the room starts spinning, you know, or a few days later. Uh, there, there's no way to tell uh, how a concussion like that is going to affect someone. So he needs to take probably 60 days off from hard training. So we're at the end of October now. So that puts him into December. <laughs> now he's not going to do that. Um, I mean, I would hope he's going to take at least 30 days off and then that would put him right in the vicinity for maybe a six week camp. But I just don't think it's a good idea for him to take that fight. You know, I know he's the type of guy who, you know, he gets knocked off the horse. He wants to get right back on, but you know, you, you never really know how, these concussive knockouts are really going to affect you. You have to take some time to let the brain heal. And I, I know his ego is telling him like, Oh, it's fine. You know, it was just a flash knockout or whatever the case, but you don't really know what's going in on inside the skull there. So again, if I were someone close to him, I'm not letting him fight Ilya Teporia in January. Uh, do I think there needs to be an interim title? Not really. You know, I think I think putting Volkanovsky maybe on UFC 100, uh, 300 or something like that 
is a possibility, in which case we wouldn't need an interim title. Um, if the UFC feels like they owe something to Ilya Taporia, I guess they could do that. But then are we going to end up seeing, you know, Max Holloway and, and Alexander Volkanovsky part four? If Max wins the interim title, we're going to see that at UFC 300. I don't know what the appetite for that would be like. So I... What I would like to see is Volkanovski wait until February or March to fight and defend his title. I don't think there needs to be an interim title in the meantime, but, you know, I'm not the one writing the checks for the UFC either. So we have to give credit to Islam Mahashev because, you know, he could have said no when they proposed Volkanovski as the as a substitute fighter, but Islam has the mentality that, you know, he prepared to defend his title and he's going to defend it against whoever they put in there with him. So that's a mindset that you have to respect, whether you're a fan of his or not, or you're a fan of Volkanovsky or a fan of Charles Oliveira, or whatever the case, you have to admire a champion that's willing to do that. He said, I have to fight whoever they put in here. If it's the number one contender at 155, then that's who I'm going to fight. You know, if it's a 170-pound fighter that moves down, that's who I have to fight. That's who they tell me to fight. So uh, I, I really respect that. And, you know, he's taken a, a tough fight on short notice too. He was preparing for Charles Oliveira, who's a completely different fighter. And, yeah, he's taking Volkanovsky, who's not in training camp or anything like that. But it was a tough, close fight with him the first time. So credit to Islam for taking the fight. And then, obviously, he looked good in there. Um, he didn't look as flat as he did in the first fight. Um, you know, it could have been due to the rehydration time in Abu Dhabi as compared to Australia. It, it could have just been a better camp. It maybe wasn't overtrained. Uh, whatever the case, he looked like he was in much better shape, much better condition going into this fight. And it paid off. So he ends up getting a highlight reel knockout over a really tough guy in Volkanovski, who I don't believe has been finished, but I can double check that real quick. Okay. Okay, it looks like he has been. Okay, he was TKO'd also by a head kick in an early fight back in 2013. All right, so he hasn't been finished uh, since he's been fighting UFC caliber opponents. So, that, you know, we're talking 10 years ago was the last time. So if you're only getting knocked out once every 10 years, you know, that's that's pretty good. Um, I want to talk about the post-fight stuff with Volkanovsky because even in the octagon and then again in the press conference, he was saying some concerning things. He was saying, I had to take this fight for myself because, you know, I beat myself up in my own head when I'm not fighting, when I don't have a fight to prepare for. And he went on in the press conference to say, I don't know why it's like this because I have a beautiful family. I have so much going for me, but things are just not good for me mentally when I'm not preparing for a fight. 
And that's really concerning because, you know, here's a guy who obviously is an elite competitor, but he's 35 years old and he's a featherweight. You know, the shelf life isn't going to be that much longer. If he's lucky, he'll fight until he's 40. But 35 years old, you know, and he, every single fight he takes is, is a five-round championship fight. So he's going to have to start thinking about his exit strategy at some point. Because if things are not good for him mentally when he's not preparing for a fight, you know, there's going to come a day in at at most in the next five years where he's not going to have a fight to prepare for. And, you know, it's concerning to hear a guy say things like that. Uh, you know, maybe he's not thinking about what he wants to do after this. Everybody feels invincible when they're on top of the world, when they're the champion. But then, you know, when the crowd's not there, when they don't have that competition to prepare for, if the things in your life are not fulfilling enough for you, um, it, that could put you in a really dark place. And I wouldn't want to see that for him. I wouldn't want to see that for anyone. And, you know, people who do this sort of thing, whether they compete or they train or they coach, um, combat sports is definitely form of therapy in its own way. So I can relate to it in that sense where, you know, I have a similar situation where I have a beautiful family and my home life is fantastic. But if I get outside of my training routine, I can get a little grumpy. I can get, I wouldn't say depressed, but, you know, start thinking about things that can be upsetting or or things like that. So I, I can understand, and obviously I've never done this uh, as a professional, and I've never done it to the level that Volkanovski has, so I don't know what it's like having that added high of all the people cheering for you and winning a championship and so on and so forth. I would imagine that after a feeling like that, after such a big high, it would be hard to match that in your day-to-day -day life, if not impossible. So I get what he's saying, but it's uh, it's concerning. And, you know, I get he had just gotten knocked out, so he was in a very vulnerable place and felt like opening up in that moment. But, you know, I hope the people around him were taking notice and try to and they try to help him think about what might be next after you know after all the bright lights are gone and all the screaming fans are gone and the championship belts are gone and the preparation for the next battle is gone i hope he is able to get himself into a place where you know he can be satisfied with his life without those things and I think it's good that he has identified that he has an issue with it, and hopefully he's able to sort it out. But to some degree, I get it. You know, when you do this sort of thing, 
you're wired a little bit different than most people. And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of that sometimes when I talk to uh, parents and my daughter's friends and I see the way that other people process things and think about life and think about confrontation and etc. And it's different. It's, uh, it's just different the way we process things and the way we handle uh, human interaction. So I, I feel for him there. And uh, I'll leave it at that. So let's move on to the co-main event. A lot of people thought I was crazy, you know, siding with the champ, Kamaru Usman, uh, the former champ, I should say, but I'll always refer to him as the champ. I'm such a big fan of Kamaru Usman. But <clears throat> I thought that Usman would be too experienced, too slick, uh, for Chimaev to just run through and steamroll. And when he's not able to run people over, when he empties the tank, is when he's vulnerable. And I thought Kamaru Usman might have been able to capitalize on that. Now, given the performance, I don't think I was too far off. Obviously, Chimaev got him down and, and had his back for like four and a half minutes of the first round. All three judges gave him a 10-8 there. Okay, but then he's, he was kind of wiped coming out in the second. I thought Usman won the second round. I also thought Usman won the third round, but the third round was close. I thought Usman was landing the cleaner shots. I thought he was landing the bigger shots. Uh, that's what I saw anyway. And again, just to reiterate, for those who didn't catch the beginning of the show, I started watching this fight in the third round. So I wasn't really aware of what had happened before that. I went back and watched it after the fact. So watching the third round, I thought, okay, it looked like Usman won that one. Um, but I could see Chimaev winning the first two, having not seen them. So uh, majority decision goes to Chimaev. And it turns out the judges' scorecards were pretty close. You know, well, one one altered score, and we would see Usman as the winner there. So it it went like pretty much how I anticipated. Usman weathered the storm, and then it, you know he was right in there with him. I didn't see him getting blown out of the water, uh, especially with the inside information of training with Gilbert Burns, who's given Chimaev the hardest time we've seen anyone give him so far. So Usman had that inside information. And he knew what he was getting himself into. And, you know, here's a guy who has been fighting at the championship level for years. So I don't understand what makes people, what made people think that Chimaev was going to go in there and just obliterate him and, and not give him any kind of chance in this. Um, you know, it was a close fight. It was a good fight. And uh, Chimaev came out the winner. And now they're talking about him against Sean Strickland. And from what I understand, Chemayev has trained with Strickland before and gotten the better of him in the gym. And, you know, he knows he can outstrike him, outgrapple him, 
he submitted them, whatever the case, but that's in the gym. And the gym is a different place than the arena, not just physically, but it's just different. There are guys who are absolute killers in the gym, but once the lights are on them, that person doesn't exist anymore. And then on the other side, there are guys who consistently get their ass whipped in the gym. But when those lights come on and, and the pressure is there, they perform. You know, we all know, we all know someone like this. If you've, if you've trained in a fight gym long enough, you've seen people like this. They're like, oh man, Johnny's fighting this weekend. It's going to be a disaster. Then Johnny gets in there and beats the fuck out of somebody. And you're like, who, who is that guy? That's not the guy we've been training with. You know, what happened here? In any case, I believe that Sean Strickland is one of those guys who shows up when the lights are on and when the pressure's on. And, you know, if he takes the fight with Chemayev and it goes into deep waters, it goes to those five rounds, uh, I haven't seen any indication that Chemayev can can make it through a five-round fight. You know, a lot of part a lot a big part of the dialogue with the Usman fight was that if it had gone five rounds, Usman would have won. I'm interested how you guys score that fight. Obviously, Chamayev got the 10-8 in the first round. I scored two and three for Usman, which would have made it a draw. And, you know, I wouldn't have been mad at a draw there. In any case, let me know what you think. How did you score Kamzat Chamayev versus Kamaru Usman? Let me know in the comments or on social media, et cetera, et cetera, depending where you're listening or watching. All right. Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker. This is just a bizarre one. So Ankalaev has Johnny Walker on the ground, knees him illegally. Referee separates them. Johnny Walker seemed to be coherent, but whatever questions he was asked, uh, the referee didn't like the answers, so it was called a no contest. And some people seem to think that Johnny Walker was giving wrong answers on purpose so that he would get a de disqualification win. I don't know if I necessarily buy into that theory. In any case, Uncle Iev is a guy who... There's just like a black cloud over this guy. Something weird always seems to happen when this guy fights. You know, there was the fight with Elon Kutalaba where Kutalaba was like playing possum. So the referee stopped the fight. You know, then he had the draw in the championship fight with Jan Blahovich. Um, and it's a shame because this is a guy who is highly skilled. You know, his talent is is really elite. He is a guy who should be close to fighting for a championship, but man, just a string of unfortunate events is, has been the story of his career lately. Now, I mean, he should have known better than to knee him illegally. And now Johnny Walker is saying he's making the case like, 
Well, so what? You could just knee somebody in the head illegally and and break the rule and you just get a no contest on your record? Why isn't it a disqualification? I mean, the, the referee kind of has to make the determination on the spot if that strike was intentional or not. And I guess he decided it wasn't. He decided it was an accident. And that's kind of at his discretion. So here we are. We're left with another bizarre fight from Magomed and Goliath. And, you know, this guy keeps getting set further back from a title shot. And it's not due to lack of skills. It's just due to you know, a series of unfortunate events. Ikram Alaskarov gets a first-round knockout over Warley Alves. Flying knee finishes it up with some punches up against the cage. Just blasted right through Warley Alves. Very impressive performance there from Ikram Alaskarov. Um, so this guy... You know, he's going to be a problem at middleweight. 30 years old. He's gotten, he's finished all of his fights in the UFC, including a knockout of Phil Hawes in the first round. And he won by submission on Dana White's contender series. He has a knockout loss to Kamzat Shimaev, and that's the only loss on his record. So, you know, maybe he'll be looking to get that one back. I don't think he's close to it right now, but if I were him, I'd be calling out a ranked fighter right now because why not? You know, maybe maybe the winner of uh, Brendan Allen and I forget who Brendan Allen is fighting next, but maybe call out the winner of that or just be a backup fighter for Paulo Costa's next fight. That should be a good uh, a good path to getting a, a decent fight. All right. So moving on down here, Saeed Nurmagomedov, first round submission over Muin Gafarov. They're calling it a guillotine choke. It was, I mean, some people call it a modified guillotine. Some people call it a ninja choke. It's basically a front headlock choke with a rear naked choke grip. So when you reach underneath the chin, get the forearm across the chin, grab your own bicep, and bring it across the back. Uh, some people are particular about what this choke is called. I'm fine with it being called a guillotine. I'm not like one of these jujitsu nerds, but I guess technically it was a ninja choke. And... You could call it a modified guillotine as well. So it wasn't a traditional guillotine where your hands are locked. Um, but in any case, impressive performance from Saeed Nurmagomedov. I don't know who's going to want to fight that guy. But let's take a look, shall we, at these bantamweight, at these bantamweight rankings. So um, Saeed is currently ranked number 15. I don't know what you do here. Maybe like a Pedro Munoz. That'd be a good fight. Or do you move him all the way up and put him in there with like Song Yudong? I don't know. 
I don't know. What do you do with Saeed Nurmagomedov? Let me know. Let me know what you guys think. Um, let's see. Mohamed Makayev submits Tim Elliott in the third round. Um, you know, Tim Elliott's super durable fighter. He's a hard guy to put away, but Makayev was the favorite in this one for a reason. And, you know, Tim Elliott, he's been around a long time. How old is he? Let's see. 36 years old. You know, for a flyweight, that's that's old. 36, you can still you can start training at 36 and if you're a heavyweight and still make it into Bellator, potentially. But as a flyweight, that's a tough one. Um, you know, super tough guy, super durable. Last person to finish him was Brandon Royval, and that was in 2020. So, yeah, man, maybe Makayev is the real deal. Trevor Peak, unanimous decision over Muhammad Yaya. And then we had Javid Basharat and Victor Henry. So, uh, this fight was nuts. <laughs> so, Basharat lands low blows on Victor Henry multiple times, maybe twice in the first round. 15 seconds into the second round, Basharat comes out, throws a kick, and it catches underneath the cup of Victor Henry. And Victor Henry hit the ground immediately, was rolling around on the ground in pain. Basharat initially seemed like he didn't agree, thought it wasn't a low blow. He thought he hit the body. Uh, and then he seemed to sympathize with Victor Henry a little bit. And then it's rule to no contest, which, again, this is at the referee's discretion. If the referee decides that Basharat kicked him intentionally with a low shot, uh, he could have disqualified him here. He would have totally been in, in his rights to do so. Victor Henry's a tough dude. You know, he's trained by Josh Barnett, and Josh Barnett does not choose, of, of course, the legendary Josh Barnett. Josh Barnett does not choose to work with just anybody. So you know this guy is tough if he's got Josh Barnett in his corner because Josh has been very vocal about the fact that he doesn't want much to do with the UFC anymore. Uh, but he's willing to go out there and corner this guy which I think says a lot. It's it's high praise from a legendary fighter. Now, based on Victor Henry's reaction here, I don't think he was exaggerating or making it up to try and get a disqualification win. I mean, that was a look of a dude whose privates were in a lot of pain. And from what Josh Parnett said after the fact, he, he kind of came at Basharat on social media because Basharat, again, uh, he kind of called Victor Henry a coward and said that he was faking it and it was a it was a legal shot. And Josh Barnett fired back and said, like, do you want to see pictures of his swollen testicles? And do you want to see his, I don't know, MRI or whatever they had to take? So uh, apparently he's suffered a lot of damage, which is really unfortunate um luckily i've never had to experience anything like this i've been hit low 
I've been hit really hard on the cup before, but I've never had anything like, you know, the cup moved or they got underneath the cup or the cup broke. Just horror stories that you hear. Um, I, I trained with a guy at the gym who never wears a cup because he was rolling jujitsu one time and the cup broke. And he said it was the worst pain he's ever felt in his life. So he's like, I never wear a cup anymore. To each their own. Um, you won't catch me like even holding pads for someone without wearing a cup. And, you know, knock on wood, I've never had an issue. But, yeah, this looked, uh, this looked incredibly painful. And, uh, oh, man. I, I, I shudder just thinking about it. I don't blame Victor Henry for not continuing in this fight. Uh, Cedric Dumas, unanimous decision winner over Abu Azaitar, another middleweight fight. Then Mike Breeden knocks out Anshul Jubilee in the third round. So Breeden clearly lost the first two rounds of this fight. And this is a 160-pound catch weight, so I'm not sure who wasn't able to make weight here. Um, but if anybody does, let me know. So Breeden comes out in the third round and starts barking it at Jubilee like a dog and starts chanting, what was he saying, USA? Something along those lines. So he's barking at him as he's <laughs> walking him down and ends up getting the knockout three minutes into the third round. This is, was a huge comeback win from Mike Breeden because he handily lost those first two rounds. And I guess barking like a dog motivates him or something because it changed him in that third round. I know, I think his coaches were honest with him. They told him he needed a finish and he got it. So good for him. Present performance. Muhammad John Naimov, unanimous decision over Nathaniel Wood. Uh, Victoria Dudakova, unanimous decision over Jinyu Frey. Oh, Jinyu Fry, sorry. Another catch weight. Uh, this was a, a good competitive fight. And Jinyu Fry grappled early on, which was a good strategy. Um, but then she kind of veered away from it. And Dudakova was able to run away with the decision. And then the first fight of the night, which was, oh, first fight of the afternoon, I should say, because those fights start at 10 a.m. here, I think. Uh, the guy we were talking about so much last week, Shara Butin Magomedov, who made his highly anticipated UFC debut against Bruno Silva. So, on my regular episode last week, I was talking about, you know, how scary this guy is and how I wouldn't want to be Bruno Silva and what what an incredibly scary striker he is, et cetera, et cetera. But when it came down to making the picks and Matt asked me um, if he should pick Bruno Silva or Johnny Walker as his underdog, I said Bruno Silva for the fact that he's so experienced and Magomedov, as scary as he is, was making his UFC debut. So I would always side on, uh, side with experience. And, you know, Bruno Silva showed it. 
and he landed some some good shots on Magomedov in the first round and then realized he was not getting the better of him on the feet. So he took him down. Tried to beat him up there, but Magomedov still dangerous off his back, landing elbows, uh, lots of strikes. Uh, it seemed like he was a little bit lost with his positional awareness on the ground. And, you know, he was taken down by Bruno Silva, who is by no means uh, considered a great wrestler. I mean, obviously, he's a well-rounded mixed martial arts fighter, but he pretty much took Magomedov down at will. So if you're in the middleweight division and this guy, well, this guy should be on your radar if you're in the middleweight division because he just has star power written all over him. He's a fantastic striker, but man, if I'm a middleweight in the UFC right now, uh, I'm, I'm dusting off the singlet. I'm breaking out the wrestling shoes. I'm getting the wrestling practice. Uh, and I wouldn't just be taking guys down in the gym and settling for that. You got to pass his guard. You got to control him and you got to do some damage and you got to make sure this guy is winded if, and when he gets back to his feet, because otherwise he is a problem and the guy's blind in one eye. So I imagine there's only, you know, certain places where he can fight. Obviously Abu Dhabi is one of them. I don't know where else. I mean, the guy will definitely never fight in New York, that's for sure, because they are so strict with the medicals. Uh, you know, maybe Vegas eventually, but uh, I think he's only going to be able to fight overseas. So that's going to be a problem for him in terms of being able to stay active since they're not doing that many fights over there, which is a shame because this guy is really fun to watch. He's really exciting. I hope they put him in there against another striker next. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm excited for this guy. And the, the, the one dead eye he has makes him look even scarier. He's like a, a ginger zombie werewolf that can strike. So interesting. Um, I hope he, uh, I hope he gets with his coaches and starts working on some takedown defense. Uh, and, once he has that, like, good luck. Good fucking luck with this guy. Um, let's see. I don't think there's anything else. I'm going to keep it short this week. We're at, we're at 42 minutes, so pretty decent. If you guys want to grab some MMA on the Rocks merchandise, you know what to do. All the links are in the show notes. Reaper1.co is the website. You can use the promo code MMARocks10. Save yourself 10% on an over-the-top, under-the-influence t-shirt, tank top, or hoodie. And full disclosure, any money I make on merchandise will likely be spent on alcohol. So I don't know if that affects your decision-making at all, but I'm just putting it out there. And that's all I got for this week. There's going to be no episode Thursday uh, because... There's no fights to pick, so we're not going to bother doing an episode. So you guys will have to wait until next week to see me take that shot of the Poblano liqueur. I am not looking forward to it, but I am a man of my word. And a bet is bet. So that's what we're going to do. Until next time. Cheers, everybody. Bye. 